Beloved, if you have your Bible there with you this morning, please turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 5. We're going to finish out the chapter today, but I'm going to be reading from verse 7 all the way into into chapter 6, verse 12. Okay? So, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, reading all the way through to 6 and 12, I believe. Okay? Please follow along with me as I read it to you. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became a source or the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is but a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm. And holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who seek its cultivation. Receive a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be, is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown to his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of the hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. 
Beloved, as we're wandering through this book, this sermon, this message from a pastor to his people, we're looking at the, uh, his argument. He's talking to the Jews, the Jews of his day. We know that there are three categories of people contained within this letter. He speaks to the believers, to those who are Christian, those Jews that have been converted out of, out of the traditions of Judaism. He's speaking to the nominal believers, to those who, perhaps the, the children of believers, perhaps they're those who with their head accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but have no saving faith within them. They're more cultural Christians than they are committed Christians. And then the third and final group are to the non-believers. Those who are just nominal Jews. Those people who know of Jesus. Know of the way but have rejected it. And they themselves are still clinging to the rituals, traditions of Judaism. And he's speaking to these groups. So sometimes it can be confusing when he is talking to one group and then to another He's making the case to them from the beginning of the letter that faith in Jesus Christ is at its preeminence, most importance. Nothing else is more important than Jesus. God didn't send an angel to bring salvation to you and I. And angels are super beings. Angels are so far above us that we look like chimpanzees or monkeys in comparison to them. And yet God didn't send one of these super beings to come and deliver us. He is greater than these angels. He then goes on to, in his discourse to show that Jesus is greater than the, the great men of the, the faith. Greater than Moses. Greater than Joshua. These men through whom God delivered and established the Jewish faith. He is establishing that all we need to do is have faith in Christ. Because we remember what was happening to the, the Jews in the early days of the church. They were come on, coming under tremendous pressure. The Judaizers were going among them, trying to say, yes, yes, it's faith in Jesus Christ, but together with something else. With circumcision. With traditional washings and baptisms. With ceremonial visits to the temple remember the jews jewish men were required to visit the temple three times a year they would go up in a pilgrimage up to the temple they'd have a a, a cattle weekend and all the men would go out by themselves and have a great time the women would come along behind but the men would do their thing they would offer up the sacrifices remember the jews had to offer up sacrifices yearly regularly religiously and yet when they came to faith all those things stopped they no longer had to offer up sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins because jesus was their sacrifice he had taken away all of their sin all of their guilt all of their punishment was laid upon him and they had been delivered now in that their culture could you imagine there you are in your family group and your mom and your dad, your mufo, your mumu, your family, whoever, your brothers, your sisters, they're all going up to offer up sacrifices. And you say, well, no, I, I don't need to because I'm, 
Jesus is my sacrifice. My sins have been forgiven. And all of a sudden there's a schism, a divide. And there's tremendous pressure being put upon these believing Jews to conform, just to follow Fall in and follow the traditions. Why, why cause problems? Yes, Jesus is your, your Savior. That's fine. But you still have to participate. You still have to conform. Well, we don't want to cause problems. Husband with wife. Father with son. Mother with daughter. All these difficulties. Indeed, remind you, doesn't it, of the words of Jesus? Your enemies will be the People of your own household. We understand that now, don't we? We understand why the Jews were so angry against Jesus. So angry against his disciples. And so this letter is a comfort and an exhort. You know, he's he's saying, come on. He's convincing them not to go back, not to conform, not to backslide into nominal belief. Because they were. So great was the pressure. So hard was the persecution. Do you remember Saul who became Paul? What was he famous for? He wasn't famous for his great intellect. Or his zeal for the word. He was famous because he was an inquisitor. He was a man who went around from place to place. Seeking out those who professed Jesus was the Messiah. He would then question them, question them, torture. He would inflict torture upon them so that they would recant. We who have read uh, Reformational history, I love the Reformation, I love Martin Luther, I love Calvin, I love all the boys in the band. One of the terrible things of the Reformation was the Men of that time applied physical pressure to f- force people to recant their confessions of faith. We think of Hobmeyer. You know that I love Balthasar Hobmeyer, one of the Anabaptists. And Zwingli and him had a debate. And Hobmeyer won the debate, but Zwingli won the, the situation. And Hobmeyer was imprisoned and then was tortured. He was put upon the rack because they were trying to help him in his faith. They were trying to help him come to a right understanding. And after several weeks of being tortured, Hobmeyer recants his statement. Although he won the debate, he takes back his statement and says, you know, yes, yes, I see that there's a place for infant baptism in the Christian experience. And then they release him. And as soon as they release him, he recants his recantation. It was taken under duress. That kind of pressure is being applied to these Jews. To these people. And the writer of this book, whoever it may be, whether it was Paul, whether it was Barnabas, whether it was somebody else, I do not know. Nobody knows except the person who wrote it in the Lord. One day we will know, but not, our, not, our, not right now. He is trying to comfort and strengthen the believers and to warn them, to show them of the better way, the pure way, and not to fall back in the apostasy, not to recant and go back 
but to stay faithful. And today in this portion of scripture, today we'll be looking from verse 11 down to verse 14. The subheading in my Bible is the warning against apostasy. Apostasy. It's a strong word. It means to fall away. To go back. To give up. To live like you did before you came to faith. To give up those things that you have cherished so greatly. Now you don't want to touch them. Here the, the, the writer is trying to share with the people the deep truths about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the Messiah. He, he's wanting them to see the perfection of his priesthood. And yet, he then admits, this is one of those points of his, in his message, when he stops his teaching and then addresses them personally. How would you feel if your pastor, and indeed this could have been a pastor speaking his congregation, I would love to tell you these things, but you all become stupid. I'd love to tell you more about this, but it, unfortunately you've all become dumb. You'd be like, what is he saying about us? What? what? But so great is his love for them that he's gushing truth. And he, he opens up their eyes and he says, by this time, says verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. The word dull there doesn't mean like not sharp. It means slow or sluggish. Slow pushback. It's like if you're, you're, you're pushing something up a hill or like trying to take a, a sofa up the, up the stairs. You know, the, you're trying to take something heavy up the stairs and as soon as you let go, it begins to slowly begin to come back until it gains momentum. And then all of a sudden, he's saying you've slowly, you're becoming Beginning to fall away, beginning to go back, beginning to not stand, dull of hearing. And then he, he goes on in verse 12, For by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need now someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now there's a great discussion. I went through the commentaries and the things about this. This, these verses this week. And there's great discussion on to whom is he speaking to? Which of the three groups is he speaking to? I don't know if it's one particular or them all or if it's directly to the believers. But I think there's a great lesson. The Holy Spirit has put this in the text so that it might speak to you and I as a warning to you and I that we can become dull of hearing. No, he's not saying we become deaf. Stop saying that we're gonna we we are all gonna lose our hearing, or it's it, it's not necessarily that they don't hear what's being said. It's that they're not putting into practice that which they are hearing. They are slow on response, obedience to the word. He's talking to you people who have heard it 
and responded. And at one time they listened with a keen ear. Uh, They were ready to hear the word. And they put things into practice. And they lived it out. And they were passionate about their faith. Can you imagine again the Jews? I don't have to go to the temple. I don't have to buy a a lamb. I don't have to offer up pigeons. I don't have to go to, to do all these things. I am delivered from the old. And I am in the new. But then comes the pressure. Then comes the tribulation and the persecution. The looks. You know, the greatest persecution that you and I may face isn't necessarily the, the cross or burning at a stake or being beaten or imprisoned. We live in Finland and it's very unlikely those things will happen to us. No one's going to come in the dead of night And beat you to death in your house. Or burn you in your house. Because you're a Christian. It's very unlikely to happen. Here in Finland. The persecution. The pressure that you and I will face. As believers. Will come with the look. Or the comment. Or the gossip. The criticism. The stress and the strain. The mockery and the scoffing. And for us in Scandinavia, in the Nordic countries, that can be very difficult. Or the fear of that can be very difficult. And that can be very motivating. We don't do things because we're afraid that we will offend people. Or should I say, we're afraid that people will mock us or not like us or think we're weird and strange. Some of us are more weird and strange than others. And because of that, we allow the fear of man or the love of self to motivate us into not living out, to becoming sluggish, to begin to move back, to move away from the things of God and the commandments of God. The obedient lifestyle, the lifestyle where Jesus Christ is first. It's all about him, not about me. These were people at one point who were vibrant and on fire for God. But slowly, bit by bit, they have become dull of hearing. So now they can sit in the congregation and the Preacher can preach a fiery sermon, banging his hands and getting excited and pouring out the word. And people just sit there. It washes over them like water over a duck's back. They hear what's being said, but no longer does it affect their heart. No longer is it translated from, from words into actions. There is a sleepingness, a quality of sleepingness, of slumber to their faith. And beloved, I, I, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit put this in the text to warn us, to warn us of this condition. Because we know, we understand, it's not how you begin a race that's important, it's how you finish the race. And the Bible says, he who perseveres to the end 
will be saved. The Bible says that it's not enough just on your confession of faith, but on your deeds. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It says in the book of James. There must be a livingness to our faith. An awakenedness. It's not enough just to say, I believe in Jesus, but then have no reality of that in your life. And here in this text, the Holy Spirit through the author to the early church, down through the ages to you and I here today, is warning us that we might become dull of hearing. That we have the possibility, the opportunity that our ear becomes used to it. It's very easy, isn't it? To get out of a habit, to get out of a lifestyle. There was a time when I was going to the gym three times a week. I was very active, going to my jiu-jitsu and then you know, skipping for an hour and a half after it. And, and then something happens, I get injured. Life, drama. And time comes again to go to the gym. Like, nah, not today. Nah, I've got too much to do. AKA, go and drink some coffee. Eat a bulla. And two days goes into three days. Three days goes into a week. Week goes into two weeks. Two weeks go into a month. And all of a sudden, three or four months have gone by. You haven't gone to the gym. You lose that lifestyle. It's very easy to revert to a different kind of lifestyle. Do something that's easy. Or you enjoy it. Or it's just easy. We know this to be true in the flesh. We know this to be true in our normal lives. The same is true in our spiritual lives, in our relationship to God, in our relationship with one another. We must guard our sense of hearing. We must guard our hearts that they don't become dull. That they don't become sleepy. That they don't seek after other things because they're easy. We must always, as Christians, be conscious of the weight of the cross. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross. It comes at a cost. There is a price for following Jesus. It comes with obedience. And he goes on, he says, at this time, you ought to be teachers. These people had been in the faith or exposed to the faith for many years. They should have been the ones teaching these things. I always remember hearing that message by Vody Bauckham where he talks about, imagine, imagine a, a professional man, a, a builder or a, some sort of craftsman who had been in his craft 40 years. And then when you go to him with a technical question, how do I do this? What do you do? And you ask him a basic question. And the craftsman looks at you and says, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But, but you, you, you've been in this profession 40 years. How, how do you not know how to, which end of the hammer do you use? I don't, I don't, I don't know. 
And Bodhi said, you know, you would look at that man and say, he must be a worthless builder. He must be a worthless craftsman if he doesn't know what end of the hammer to use. But sadly, in our churches, we have men, he said men, but we'll say men and women, who have been in the faith 40 years. Or for however many years, X amount of years. And if you ask them a question about the Bible or about the Lord Jesus Christ, where in the Bible does it say this? What does the Bible say about that? Tell me what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I come to faith? What does it say in the Bible? Just don't tell me what you think, but tell me what the Bible says. Chapter and verse, page number. I can tell you kind of what I think. I can tell you what I heard the pastor say at some point. But chapter and verse... Or you see these older Christians who have been in the faith for many years. I've told you the story before many times. It's one of my favorite stories of when I was an usher in the church that I was going to back in Ireland. I was a young man. I was very handsome. had hair. had no beard, but had sideburns and hair. I was wearing a red suit at that time because people wore red suits. Red shiny suit. It wasn't just a, a normal, like... Matte grey, it was like glossy, it shone, Don knows. A big flory tie, not like a normal business tie, but like a tie. You know what I'm talking about? I was glorious and wonderful. But as a young man, I was a young man. And I was standing and I, was, I would shake people's hands as they came into church. And they would shake their hands as they'd go out. I was a meter and greeter and a good buyer. And uh, I remember that there were two older ladies in the church who were the ladies responsible for the tea and the coffee, the, the cakes and the sandwiches. It's very important ministry in church, <laughs> for me at least. And something had happened between those two ladies where they had fallen out. They had a disagreement. Somehow, I don't know if she criticized that she put too much butter on her sandwich or too little... Too few tea bags in the teapot. I don't know, but something happened. And these women who had been friends for 30 years suddenly had a disagreement. They had been, they'd come up in Sunday school together. They had gone to each other's weddings. They, they knew, they hung out as teenagers. They had gone through all that. They had sat in church and their kids had grown up in church. They'd been there for all of their lives. They were lovely ladies. I loved them. Yet something had happened and they had fallen out and they wouldn't talk to one another. I was standing by the door talking to one of these ladies and her husband. And uh, as we were standing there, the other lady in the argument or disagreement, she passed by with her husband. And the husband, it's very funny because the husbands were still friends. But they couldn't talk to one another. And they walked like this behind their wife. You could see the husbands wanted to talk, but they weren't allowed. They were afraid of their wives. And as they passed by, the the second lady said, "Um, Good day. Have a good day. Nice to see you. Goodbye. And they passed by. And I said, hello. You know, I shake their hand. I'm a very friendly Irishman. Oh, that's good. Hugs, you know. You know, I I don't like shaking hands. I shake hands with you Finns, but normally I hug. Julia and I are like huggers. And in Ireland, we hug. You'd all hate it. 
And, uh, and they passed me. They went out into the car park and the first lady turned to me right away and said, did you hear what she said to me? Did you hear? As if somehow in some way the lady had been rude to her because she said, did you hear what she said to me? Like, good evening, have a good evening, goodbye, blah, blah, blah. Now the point I tell that story is these ladies had been in church for all of their lives. They had no, they had known Christ. I think they're in glory now. I, I'm not sure. But they were really old when I was very young, so they might be very, very old now. But they had a falling out. And they couldn't forgive one another, and they couldn't reconcile, and they couldn't get together. Though they had known Christ all of their lives, more or less, though they had been actively in church serving Christ through the the practical things in the church, when it came to following Christ in the forgiving and reconciling with one another, they stumbled there. And gradually their hearts got harder and harder and harder. And what happened was a schism developed. A group of ladies formed around one lady, another group of ladies formed around another lady, and they were continually at war with one another. Foolishness. Why? Because they had become dull of hearing. When Jesus said, you must forgive people, when you must love your enemy as yourself, when you must follow the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, these ladies just couldn't get over that. And there was a, a blockage in their heart, a blockage in their lives. And it caused tremendous strife for them, their husbands, their families, and for the congregation. You can be in the faith for however many years, and yet still be a babe in Christ. Still be a novice. Just because you've been sitting here for 10, 15, 20 years, I know we haven't been here that long, doesn't mean that you're mature in Christ. Doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. Doesn't mean that you're capable and qualified to be a director, a leader, a guider, a teacher in church. Paul, no, not Paul, gosh, personal bias coming out there. The writer of this book is pointing out the fact that you can be a member of church, a member of the, 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 the body of Christ, of the congregation, of the community of believers, and yet grow dull of hearing, and remain like a babe, be a child. And we see that by your actions, by your lack of obedience, by your lack of passion, by your going backwards and not going on with Christ. Indeed, those who have become dull of hearing and are still but babes in Christ, they need to be constantly taught the same things again and again. They need to be affirmed again and again. They need to be popped up and kept. They're the ones who are always stumbling and falling and having to come back and repent. They're, they're always re-giving their lives to Jesus. I'm not saying they're getting born again, again and again, but they're making a new commitment, a fresh start in Jesus Christ. Whoop, fall down, whoop, fall down, whoop, fall down. And as a pastor, I, mean, I have met so many of these people who continue for a time 
And then they stumble and fall. Something happens in their life. Or they're distracted by other things or other people. And they falter and they fall. And in their immaturity, just like the babies. You know I love babies. I can't wait for grandchildren. They take three steps and fall down. Oh, you pick them up and put them on. Put them back up. Sadly, many Christians are like that still, even today, and continue throughout their Christian experience that they're toddlers in Christ. There is a childlike quality about their faith. I'm not saying that they're not believers, I'm not saying that we don't love them, I'm not saying that they're not capable in other things, but in the things of God, they're still like Felix. Love Felix. Still like. You see us running around in their faith without any kind of conscience or any kind of un- love it like Tasmanian devil from the cartoons. You know, I love that. We as Christians must grow in our faith, we must guard our hearts, we must guard our, our hearing, we must look at our lives and space. Give special attention to our behavior, to our attitudes. Can never trust our hearts. Can never trust the way we feel about ourselves. Some of us are far too critical. Oh, I'm the worst sinner in all the world. What sins have you committed today? Nothing, but I'm just the baddest, worst person. Oh, there are others of us who can do whatever and and, I'm no problem at all. Feel no guilt at all. They can say this or do that and nothing. Feel nothing. Teflon hearts. Like water off a duck's back. Their hearts don't, don't accuse them. Or maybe it does, but they don't care. We can't trust our hearts. We must compare our lives to the word of God. We must walk according to his ways and keep his statutes. It's by his ways we are called to be obedient to him. Live in the light of his word. We sang it today, didn't it? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Sadly, too many of us Christians need milk. Baby milk. Mother's milk. We live on a diet of mother's milk. I once preached a sermon. I don't know if Don remembers. It was long ago. Don and Johanna were the only people here way back then. Uh... The dangers of the middle-aged man in a diaper. How Christians can often be like a middle-aged man in a diaper. That's abnormal. If, if I was to appear here dressed in a onesie with a big tote, you know, like a hot lap. I might need a hot lap, but, you know. And I was goo ga 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 goo goo goo. You have to change my diaper. Like there's something seriously wrong with that man. There's something unnatural and unhealthy about him. And I wouldn't be qualified for anything, would I? Except maybe going to visit a specialist. Going to a special place. There's something wrong. And for people who choose to do that, well, that's a kink, a perversion. That's a, 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 something that's not normal and perhaps very damaging. But sadly, in the spiritual realm, in our relationship to Christ and in, in, in the things of the faith, 
There are those who choose to remain infants in Christ. They choose to simply take sips. You know, the good thing about babies is they, they eat a lot. I remember when my Emil was a baby. Emil, who's now this size and getting married and all the rest. He feels so old. But when he was a baby, number one, and Sarah was at work. And, uh, and I would put him to bed with velling, you know, plop, 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 plop. I remember once that Emil used to love velling. He used to love carrot and potato velling. And I fed him so much of it that he turned orange. <laughs> I didn't know people turned orange from carrot. But he turned orange. I thought he was just dark skinned. I was like, oh, he's a lovely color. Um, not immediately, of course, but after. So I was at work in the evening, so she, she didn't know. And I, I would give him not just one bottle of Velling, but two or three. And he would eat. <gasps> and one time, one time he was crying. It was 2001, the summer off. It was really hot. And he just wouldn't stop crying. And I lost count of how many bottles I gave him. So I thought I'd give him one or two, but really I'd give him four or five. I'm still not quite sure how many I gave him. <laughs> um, and in the little apartment that we lived in, it was very hot. And, uh, and I had him on my shoulder and I was burping him, you know. And all I heard was, <laughs> and he sprayed the entire apartment with velling. And baby puke smells very badly. It's very strong. Sadly, as Christians, we can be like that. We, we take in all this milk, but then we just vomit it straight back up again. We have no ability to regulate. Sadly, there are the, um, those among us who take but sips. Like the communion, when we take communion, we take of the wine, we take a little sip. I saw on, on, on my son, Emil, sent me a, an Instagram reel, you know, those short things, of this little Catholic girl taking her first communion. And they have with a cup and she takes her first communion and she emptied the chalice of wine like this and the priest's throwing and this 12 year old girl just emptied this, this big chalice of wine and gave it back and went woohoo because uh, she didn't realize she was only supposed to take a sip she just knocked the whole glass back and I was like oh my goodness oh dear but sadly too many of us Christians just sip the basic things of God. Our relationship with Christ doesn't go deep. We don't begin to enjoy the joys of the meat of the things of God. There's nothing better than a big steak. Oh, ribs. Big hamburger. Just the smell of it when you go to a barbecue. If I was to offer you a salad don or a big steak... Don't be like, give me the steak. Every time. But there's something not right about us living on a diet of milk. You won't grow normally. You won't be healthy. You can't pretend that you're a baby. You can't live like babies live. You, a grown man can't survive on a baby's diet. It's unhealthy. It's damaging. And here the Holy Spirit through the writer is teaching us that Christians can live in such a way that they try and survive on a diet of milk. On the easy things, the basic things of God. I, 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 it's all about Jesus. You ever get that expression? You ever hear that expression? It's just about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. 
Remember when, when Don and I started, started the church, began this, planted this congregation, people would, would say to us, when we were so focused on doctrine, they would say, you know, doctrine divides, but love unites. It's only about Jesus. Don't tell me about doctrine. Don't tell me what the Bible says. It's just about me knowing Jesus. That's the spirit of a milk drinker. That's the spirit of a milk drinker because the doctrine are, is the, the, the teachings of Jesus being applied to our lives. It says here in verse 13, you need milk, um, you need milk, not solid food. Again, criticizing then in verse 13, for everyone who lives in milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is but a child or a babe. I like that expression. Unskilled. Milk drinkers don't know what they're talking about. And yet milk drinkers are often the ones who make the most noise. Again, they, they cry. They behave like children. They're the ones who are the most troublesome. When we're singing and praying, it's not normally the adults who are talking with one another. It's not normally the adults who are jumping off chairs or causing havoc. It's the children, isn't it? And we accept that because we love them. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And we, we show them grace. But imagine if my Amos began to jump off the chairs and uh, hang off the curtains. You know, talk loudly. Or his Auntie Julia do the same. Probably Julia would be more likely to do it. That wouldn't be acceptable. That wouldn't. Be right, we would all go, hold on, hmm, no, that's going too far. We show grace to the little ones, but when the bigger ones behave in a childish way, we will correct it, and we don't accept it. And it should be the same in the spiritual life. When you behave childishly in the spirit life, we shouldn't accept that. We don't take instruction from those who are always falling down, who are slow in their obedience, who are not living the Christian life, who are not walking in his ways nor keeping his requirements. They have become unskilled in the word of righteousness. They don't know what the Bible says. They don't know what God has said through the Bible. You ask them a question, what does the Bible say about that? Get the phone out, Google it quick, Google it quick. I don't need to know the Bible. My phone knows the Bible in many different languages. But sadly, they don't even know the question to ask Google. Verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And that's the difference between those whom he addresses as children, babes, Toddlers and those whom he as mature, or as he says here, um, the word for mature is also perfect, complete, grown up. Not perfect as in like fail free or whatever that's in English, but in the sense of that they've completed growing up, they are fully grown up, vuxen. The thing that distinguishes the two 
is one has learned to distinguish show discernment that they have put their common sense their reasoning they have used their minds and they have learned good from evil that which is beneficial and that which is not beneficial that which is required and that which is to be avoided it's doing Not doing unto salvation, but salvation producing good works, obedient works. You living out your Christian life day and daily in your relationships. When you falter, when you fall, when you fall down, when you make mistakes, when you enter into sin in some sense. And beloved, you will, because there was only one perfect man and his name was Jesus. The rest of us are just getting by. We're trusting in Christ and his sacrifice, his perfection. When you falter and fall, you get down on your knees and you say, Lord, I recognize that here and now in this place, in this way, I have let you down. I am sorry. I apologize. I confess my sins. And then we know the Bible says that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get up and we begin again. We begin anew. And thank God that we don't begin by ourselves, but the Holy Spirit within us enables us. He can grant us victory over sinful practices, over bad habits. He can deliver us. Indeed, the Bible says that sin shall no longer be your master. There is freedom in Christ. Slavery outside of Christ and freedom in Him. How do we know the difference between the mature, those who are complete, perfect, vuxen in their faith, and those who are childish, childlike? Not in a good sense childlike, but sadly in a bad sense childlike. And it is this, the extent of their obedience and extent with their knowledge. That's how... There can be times when young men, young women come to faith, or young men, young women, people come to faith, and all of a sudden there's this accelerated spiritual growth in their experience. They are, in a few months, much more mature in the things of God than someone who's been there for maybe 10, 15 years. I mean, we're all like, wow, why is that? Because that person is not dull of hearing, they're not content and just sipping little sippy cups of milk. They are hungry for the word. They are hungry for the, the, the meat of the things of God. And they devour it. And they put it into practice. God has said. And they walk. They live it out. While the person who's been here... 5, 10, 15 years, they've come easy and comfortable and their life is good and they don't really have to, you know, they kind of know the habits and, and the, the, the way of doing things and they fall into the bad habit and instead of going on with Christ, they begin to go backwards. They begin to slip away. Begin to get dull. I like that word dull. Not in the sense of a knife becoming blunt. No, but no. 
What's what's the word in Swedish for for? Not that sense, but in English we can say something is dull or it's very very bright. You know what I mean? That I have a light when I'm painting. I have a light, and the light that I have is very very dull. I have to kind of do this, see what I'm painting. And so I went and bought a second light. Now I have two, and they're very, very bright. I mean, it looks like, an, like a spaceship has arrived in my little room where I paint. You know, I need sunglasses almost now because it's too, so bright. We who hear and obey, we who live out our faith, have a brightness about us. Or there should be a brightness about us. I remember when I first came to faith, 30-something years ago. I know, I don't look that old, but I am. I am. You all know I am. I'm older on the inside. And I remember being with those old people. I've told you before, I hung out with all the old people. Those glorious saints who are all over 60. And they used to show, I was in the prayer meeting with them at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the mornings. And they used to shine. They shone with a holy glow. There was a, a, a quality about them. There was a quantity to their faith. There was a richness about them. And I aspired. I said way back then, 30 something years ago, when I'm old, I want to be one of them. I want to burn with Christ. I want people to look at me and go, oh gosh. Oof. There's something, an aura. I always wanted to have an aura, you know, like a halo. I don't think I'll get one, but you know. Is there a dullness about your faith? Is there a dullness about your life? Or is there a brightness? Are you walking in his ways? Are you keeping his requirements? Are you full of the joy of the Holy Spirit in the things of God? Because the Holy Spirit, through the author here, warns us that we who are believers, who have heard and experienced and enjoy the blessings, we can become dull. And it's a warning. And sadly, after the last few years of Trump and the the drama that came with Trump and then Corona and then the lockdowns and now with the uh, Ukrainian stuff and all the, the... raising of petrol prices and milk prices and everything. There's only so much that human beings can take. And we become tired and weary and... It's very easy to become distracted and to go back. To give up and to give in. Beloved, let me ask you again. Are you walking in his ways? Are you keeping his requirements? Or have you become like these people to whom the author is speaking? They have ceased to exercise, to use their powers of discernment, to know what God wants from them, to know why they are to live their lives. They're just going about their daily routine in accordance to whatever they want. And they have become babes. I also think it's very possible for a person to go on well with Christ, to do well for a time, and then they begin to falter and go back. 
This is not someone who starts slow and then gains momentum. This is a person who has started fast, who has lived with Christ, gone on. And then as time has passed, they have lost their light and they have dulled down. Beloved, the way back to Christ and to the things of Christ is easy. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's putting things in order, putting things in right. It's the glorious good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ has died. Not just to take away our sins, but to give us new life. And that new life is found in him, not in the things of this world, not in the baubles, gold, rubies, gems, not in other things. Life is found in Christ. And he says, come, come ye, be tired and weary and, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man come unto the Father but by me. Beloved, let us not take God for granted. Let us always remember that Jesus Christ and our relationship to him, our obedience to him, our discipleship to him is the key to all things in our life. If God has moved in you, we see that by how you live your life. Let us be aware. Let us be wary. Now let us cling on to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we look to you in all things. We know, Lord God, that you know our hearts, you know our, our lives. You know, Lord, the state and the standard of our faith. This morning, Lord, as we come before you, we lay all things bare. Lord, those of us who have become dull of hearing. Lord, those of us who have played the game of being children in the faith. Lord, those of us who have gone back rather than going on with you. Lord, we recognize that. We confess that. We repent of that. We ask, oh God, that you would forgive us, that you would enable us to change and to turn away and to begin the, the process of following after you. We thank you, oh God, that you are gracious and good and kind and caring now lord you are the father who runs to his prodigal child did you lord prepare a table before us did you bless us that you love us that everything that we've ever done has been paid for all sins have been paid for by christ he who said it is finished we thank you that he was offered up as a sacrifice one time for all lord we are so grateful for all of your efforts on our behalf please holy spirit we ask that you would anoint us, open our hearts, and enable us. We are dependent upon you. Lord, we are simply jars of clay filled with treasure. Lord, may your will be done. Lord, for those who do not know you, we ask, O oh God, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would challenge them on their sin, that you would reveal to them Jesus Christ, his perfection, his righteousness, Lord, his sacrifice on their behalf. Lord, that you would grant them faith, that they would look on to you and be saved, that they would confess you as Lord. Oh, Father, Lord, we do pray these things for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.